cue Robin Williams Carpe Diem <laughs> Scanning up on the desk <laughs> Read that poetry boys <laughs> You're listening to a podcast created by the Jacksway Collective Today we dive into Leo Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Illich We think about death and how we should face it How does one live a fulfilling life not based on societal expectations Thanks for listening to the show today Weigh in by sending us an email at jacksawaycollective at gmail.com or subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Now let's get to it. All right. Welcome back to the Jacksway Collective podcast. Uh, I'm Oliver and I'm with Yana today. We took, we took a little bit of a hiatus for about two weeks, got busy with life and uh, yeah, we're back to it. So what are we reading today? Well, as life happens um, over the past two weeks, death also happens. So I thought it uh, appropriate that we actually dive into Leo Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Illich. And I hope that I'm saying Illich right. Yeah, we should, probably, we should probably do like a pronunciate pr- name, fuck up, disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer, we don't even know how to say the word pronunciation, nor <laughs> yeah. do we know oh, any shit. of the fucking Russian names. <laughs> Yeah, we are uncultured swine. So, <laughs> so deal with it. Um, yeah, so we're going to go with Ivan Illich, if that's what you thought. Yeah, I think I got that. So Okay, perfect. And well, I got I mean. Peter versus the other guy. <laughs> okay, that was so... Uh, um, oh my God, don't yeah. let our editor hear that. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so... Yeah, I picked the death of Ivan Illich because um, I've actually been on a little bit of a Russian novelist streak lately, reading some Dostoevsky, but um, I was looking for a kind of shorter, more digestible story that we could read for the podcast. Instead of reading War and Peace, I figured <laughs> what better short novella to read than the death of Ivan Illich. I didn't know much about it before I got into this book, but honestly, upon reading it, I thought it was, I thought it was fucking awesome. What'd you think? Same here. So many good lines in there yeah i I'd, i'd never read any tolstoy before you? how do you like him in comparison to dostoevsky it's a tough question man uh um, were samples. they writing at were they writing at the same time or did tolstoy was he before i actually think tolstoy was after so okay um they existed and they were alive at some sort of crossover for a few decades but i think like dostoevsky was born first and then died midway through tolstoy's life and um, then Tolstoy lived on, I think, into the very, very early 1900s, whereas Dostoevsky died in like late 18, 1800s. And so how do I feel about both of them? I feel like, again, this is such a small sample size, but... Um, Did they write about similar stuff? Um, a little bit, right? They, 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 talk, they talk about, um, you know, existence and yeah. what it is like to live a moral life. Um, and so at least for me, I think that... Dostoevsky is much more, and I don't mean this in a bad way, he's more ranty. His characters go into right. long, long, so like long walks. Yes, exactly, exactly Because wasn't, like wasn't The Stranger inspired by Crime and Punishment or something like that? Hmm, I actually, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. And I'm thinking of also, and I want to bring this up later, of Camus' The Fall as well, which is basically yeah. just one long book that is one long diatribe from a singular character. <laughs> and so I got that sense that Dostoevsky is very similar to that, where his characters will go on these long speeches, you know, covering religion, politics, etc. Um, whereas this is a bit more grounded. I think that he, at least in this story, Tolstoy relies, leans less on dialogue than 
Dostoevsky does. There's a lot of description in here as well, which is great. Lots of chapters in this book are just dedicated to the description of Ivan's life before there's that kind of shift going into um, Ivan's mind. So that was the key difference as well. But again, the sample size is just so, so small that yeah. I can't make any conclusions on that. We'll have to uh, dive in more. Yeah, I'm sure we will dive back into these guys, man. I really like this book. I don't know. Yeah, they're a novella. I'm not sure what you even want to call it, but I'm sure he has other short fiction, and I'm pretty sure Dostoevsky does too. So let's get them back on the pod. They're- Did you see his uh, his beard on his Goodreads picture? <laughs> yes. My God. <laughs> Who's got the better beard, dude? Tolstoy or Dostoevsky? I, got, I am pulling it up. I Yeah, I, I, I know where I stand quite, quite strongly, actually. But I, I want to see it before you uh, make the call. Um, let me pull it up. Okay, I think Tolstoy definitely has the better beard. Yeah, exactly, man. That's no question. <laughs> or, or Dostoevsky's like scraggly ass beard. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> he's got the uh, the pube beard, as they say. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. He's got a good beard. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't know, man. Tolstoy, I think, just blows him out of the water. Or, and or you know maybe what? It's, maybe it's because that picture is him old as an older guy. Maybe, so. maybe. But when I see, I don't know, the Tulsa one that I can see is in color and his beard is such a beautiful, um, pristine white. Um, whereas I picture Dostoevsky's to be a bit more like, you know, just standard like brownish, grayish yeah. beard, right? Um, to have a nice, elegant white beard like that, Tolstoy, he looks like the fucking man. <laughs> There's wisdom in those whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Just to peel um, them back, peel them back. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily a uh, beard model, secondarily a uh, novelist. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, basically this book is about a character called Ivan Illich, who is a lawyer, and it's basically a narration of his entire life from the time that he becomes a lawyer to uh, his marriage, his having children, and his eventual diagnosis with some sort of uh, disease or appendix issue, something like that. And then the slow suffering that he goes through as he reaches um, his death at the end of the novel. Some things that are interesting is that the first chapter of the book actually starts at the chronological end of the story. So the first chapter is dedicated to the funeral, or I don't even know if you would call it a funeral. Ivan Illich has just died. I thought it was like a a viewing almost. Yeah, more so that word. I don't know what the word is, but it's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Cause he's dead on the table. It's not a formal funeral <laughs> proceeding. There's just a dead body in the out. living Come room, right? <laughs> Come have a look at this fucking corpse <laughs> before we, you know, whatever you do to the corpse. So yeah, it starts there. And then the next chapter immediately goes back to the beginning of Ivan's um, adult life and then follows him all the way through to his death. And so, yeah, that was, uh, that was very interesting. Where do you want to start? Um, hmm. How did you feel about his decision to put the viewing in that first chapter first? Because I thought that was very interesting and made the story quite unique. At first, I was expecting more from Peter or Pete. I'll just call him Peter Um, because I thought there was going to be more from him, right? Yeah, who actually does not play a very big role in the story. But I guess if if this story, if that character comes back in his other stories, then it's kind of cool to just have him there and then not be seen again. Mm Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, Peter, Peter Ivanovich. Um, as often happens when I read these fucking Russian novels, same with you, I immediately get so overwhelmed by all of the different yeah, names. Yeah, right off the bat. I'm like, oh, God. It's like 14 people to keep track <laughs> of, um, which is insane. But thankfully, after the first chapter, like it kind of 
focuses in on um, mostly Ivan and his uh, direct family, and uh, I guess Peter plays some role. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess the first the first chapter really gives us a glimpse, more so than any other chapter, I think, into the the Russian society at the time, and you know the kind of people that in, inhabit it. Um, and I thought it was very interesting how so many of the characters, although they're closely associated with the person who has died, they actually, none of them really care about yeah. uh, Ivan's death at all. Especially in the first chapter. Yeah, exactly. And I think that every single one of them who is there doesn't really care about the corpse. They feel nothing really about, nothing sad about Ivan's death. And they're all there to kind of serve their own interests to see what they can get out of Ivan, whether it's a promotion or money or um, status, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But we do see the, the, I guess that first theme, the fear of death in, through Peter when he's like so shocked that he just runs away and goes to play Vint. Yeah. And, you know, and he's also, uh, he is the one too, who's very awkward in terms of how to like pay his respects to the dead. Right. Yeah. He doesn't know whether to like do his, Bow. bow or the kind of awkward bow the the weird cross that he did as well um and honestly like interacting with with the grieving you know grieving quote unquote um <laughs> wife as well um so yeah and i actually thought that there was an interesting on reading it twice um there's a there's a part where peter is like talking about how ivan's death was a kind of accident and it doesn't really apply like ivan's death doesn't really have any effect on him it doesn't apply to him yeah. it's not going to happen to him that's um, uh that goes back into that solo um what's that word syllogism yes exactly which i i think we should maybe get to yeah. um very soon yeah um and just to kind of foreshadow <laughs> that there's a quote here again our pages are different we actually read different translations for this uh recording but it says that Peter uh, began to ask with interest about the details of Ivan Illich's death, as though death was an accident natural to Ivan Illich, but certainly not to himself. And so, so many of these characters, although death is basically, you know, front and center and right in front of their eyes, um, there's a kind of theme in the story that even though it's right in front of your eyes, it's, it's incredibly difficult for any of them to actually face it and actually come to, come to grips with that fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess like if we want to kind of glaze over the first chapter here and just get to Ivan himself, yeah. um, do you, what did you take out of the story in terms of the description of his character and his life as a whole? So when it starts out, it seems like he's a part of this higher class. Life is easy for him. He's a workaholic, just work, work, work. And then, but he's doing these things not for himself, not for his and that's what he says later on in the story, right? He real he was like he's regretting his life, but yeah, he does all these things just for the sake of uh, higher society. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that that was also like very interesting. And I think that maybe Tolstoy, through how he represents the characters in the first chapter, as well as um, you know the entire rest of the book about Ivan's relationship to Russian higher society, it seems like a kind of scathing critique, like. One, look at how these people are behaving around someone who is considered close to them's death. Um, and also, like, what is the point in terms of Ivan's life striving so hard to to appease his superiors and live this kind of life as a lawyer that is society, societally, like, acceptable? And, and then they don't you know, even care. And then they don't even care, right? <laughs> and, it's, it's, and he ends up living, like, a life that is actually very shallow and very empty. 
And yeah, so like I think that the Tolstoy has a great job of highlighting that um, just because you do everything that is, you know, society, societally expected or societally like smiled upon um, does not necessarily mean that from that you will have a fulfilling and meaningful life. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find, there was a really interesting quote where, oh yeah, I kind of like this, where it talked about Ivan Illich was by nature attracted to people of high status as a fly is drawn to the light, assimilating their ways and views of life and establishing friendly relations with them. Damn. Yeah. And so like, I kind of see this, like Ivan is not ever really acting as a kind of free character instead like okay these are the people who are above him this is what they do and he's just going to be copying them and you know like he basically just takes everything that they do um at face value um and he actually never does take a second to step back and question like okay what are my superiors doing is there any value to that what can i do differently instead he's just like taking everything that they do on board um which Mm -hmm. i thought was like just a pretty shitty way to live have you it reminded me a lot of that psychology uh psychology theory uh I'm sure you've probably heard of it, the true and false self. Yeah, actually, I saw that you you wrote a little bit about yeah. that. Um, I wasn't actually that familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, maybe tell me a bit more. I, I don't really know much about it myself, but from what I understand of it, it's like when you're in childhood, that's the true self. You're, you're, um, you're not uh, putting these walls up and kind of putting a fake mask on. And I okay. guess because you're being fake, it leads to this kind of sadness within yourself feel empty interesting i'm probably explaining that way wrong but that's where i thought there might be a connection yeah i think maybe like the i'm kind of thinking of a kind of blank slate here right the true self like without taking into account any sort of norms or expectations from you know society or from family or peer groups or whatever strip all that away or peel back the onion layers (laughs) and don't use those as influences on your (laughs) life and then maybe yeah that's very interesting. Although to me, it seems also like just a pure ideal, right? I don't know if you mm-hmm. can ever strip yourself entirely of these things. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if you need to strip yourself of them all completely. To be happy. To, exactly. Or to live a life full of meaning, but instead recognize all of the things that are that have weight around you or that are influencing you in some way. Question all of them and you know, then then navigate saying like, okay, this is actually bullshit. I'm gonna change my opinion on this. Yeah. Um, this is actually great. I'm okay with, you know, fulfilling this role or acting out this this norm. So it's a more of like a, a sorting through all of the things as opposed to trying to get rid of every single one of them. Yeah, because it seems like he tries to do that at the end. He's like stripping them away almost. Yeah, of course. Um, he's, he's just too regretful. We're jumping yeah, ahead, but. Yeah, I know. I, know. Oh, I do really want to talk about that ending though. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought that like, um, of course, it's very it's very hard to live a life not based on what the people above you kind of see fit for you. Um, there's no doubt about that, right? Yeah. But I think that we can do our best. Ivan, I think, doesn't do a very good job of this, of trying to escape from the kind of the authority figures in his life basically having his yeah. balls. Because <laughs> like, like his father was a lawyer, and of course he's going to become a lawyer and go to law school and do all of the right things. Um, Hashtag Luke. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, Luke. If you're listening. Out, Luke. If you want to defend yourself, uh, you got to come on the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> love you, Luke. <laughs> Good old pot shot. Um, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, I think that um, in many ways that this reminds me a lot of Camus' uh, book, The Fall, which is basically right. um, a story of a man 
who over the course of five days confesses to someone who's a complete stranger and basically talks to him saying that, yes, you know, I lived this very full life objectively um, where he was very good at his job and he was very successful with women and he was financially successful and did lots of traveling, et cetera, et cetera. But then through his confession, he realizes that like, actually, no, like this is a kind of outside view, objective, like quality life. But here I am reflecting upon it and I feel unfulfilled. And so what I like the connection that I would draw from that is like, it doesn't matter how like objectively successful your life is or how quality is like you got to have your own meaning. And Mm -hmm. that meaning cannot be derived from what is like objectively considered great or good. Um, And I actually think that the character in the fall has a better, does a better job of realizing that about himself than uh, Ivan Illich here um, in this story. Cause I feel like even up to his death, which again, I let's, why are we even trying to like not talk about the ending? Fuck it. Let's just talk about the ending as well. Like an organic, organically here and just go wherever it goes. Um, But yeah, like even, even on upon death, like up to the very end, he's still having such trouble admitting to himself that like he did anything wrong and he didn't live as he ought to have lived. Right. He's like, yeah, but, but I lived this amazing lawyer, like just fulfilling life, but I feel empty and now it's all coming to an end. I think that he actually has a much harder time reconciling that than um, the character in the fall. Mm -hmm. This is just a side note, but I, that's why I think um, your passion projects in life are so important Exactly, man. Because those are the things that you look back on because they're the things that you do for yourself, right? Not yeah. For, uh, not for a salary, not for impressing someone, not for, you know, status, whatever the fuck it is, right? That's why podcasts are pretty awesome. That's <laughs> why I like the podcast. Nice little subtle, uh, you know, subtle tire pumping on us. Well done. <laughs> yeah, hats off. Well, when we're on our deathbeds, um, we'll look back at the Jacksway Collective as a success. Play even the if the podcast. <laughs> And then Oliver Chang lays down and dies. <laughs> <laughs> and then I die. I die as that my like cheesy intro is playing. <laughs> You're listening to the Jacksway Collective. Oh God, man! Which, by the way, dude, how funny was it that both of us, before we start reading the fucking book, both go to the online PDF and just scroll to the final page, and we get the sp- whole entire fucking well, story spoiled. That, that, that's the end of the story for sure. <laughs> I thought Ivan was going to live in the death of Ivan Illich. I swear to God, um, <laughs> no plot twist. Okay, so where do you want to go from here? Maybe we could talk about the fear of death, and okay. we could we could talk about it just in general and kind of draw from the story, but maybe just talk about some instances in life too, because I thought of some. Sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, how do I feel about death? What makes or me even, think or about even it? About, okay, so in the story, Ivan's wife's brother sees him, and he's like, his jaw drops. He says, he's a dead man. And that just reminded me of, uh, we're, like, we're afraid to see people dying. Like, there was this one time when I was younger and playing hockey, one, one of the guys on my team, his dad was uh, dying of cancer, and he, he walked into the dressing room, and you could tell he was... He was very sick and it was like terrifying. And that's just so, it must be such a lonely experience for that person, how you're dying and you want to be with people and everyone's so scared to be with you. Yeah. And that's kind of what, that's what Ivan talks about, right? He's so alone. And um, yeah, you're right. Like it's a kind of weird experience. Like um, one, as a, as a healthy person, 
you don't want to be confronted or reminded yeah. of that from other people. And so there's a perfect example of that, that guy with cancer walking into your dressing room, even as a very young child, it still, it still freaks you out when yeah. theoretically death is so far away. Um, but then on the flip side of that, being the one who is presenting that to other people is also very isolating, just as you say. And I think that you actually see both of these in the story, both with like how Ivan feels about the people around him and how the people around Ivan feel about him. And so actually, it's really interesting that you asked, you say that, you know, you're looking for sympathy. I have a quote here. Um, I don't have a page number. Again, I read this on a Kindle, unfortunately. So sorry, <laughs> audience. But um, I think it was like on p- chapter 11, where it says, okay. um, apart from this lying, be, or because oh, okay. of it, um, what most tormented Ivan Illich was that no one pitied him as he wished to be pitied. At certain moments after prolonged suffering, he wished most of all, though he would have been ashamed to confess it, for someone to pity him as a sick child is pitied. He longed to be petted and comforted. He knew he was an important functionary, that he had beard turning gray, and that therefore what he longed for was impossible, but still he longed for it. And so you just see in that paragraph the the isolation that Ivan is experiencing, even though he might be surrounded by his family and a bunch of different members like he is still alone mm-hmm. and he's alone to think about death. And so like, what is it that scares you about death or what is it that um, like, what, what confronts you that makes you think about it the most or something like that? Hmm. Cause I don't really I, have you, you go first. Maybe it's that um, tying it back to Thomas Nagel's death essay somehow. Maybe that's what's the terrifying aspect about it. Yeah. Like um, I think it's Nagel who says, uh, it's not necessarily the fear of the act of dying, but it's the fear of like not living, right? Yeah. Um, after having lived. Yeah. Also, um, I was just thinking too how how sad it is how you're living this really good life, your career is going the way it wants to go, you're hitting all these good strides, um, and then suddenly life hits you with this sickness, and that's that's terrifying too. I find for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the kind of randomness, the unpredictability of it. You have yeah. no idea. And then once it comes, it literally affects every yeah. fucking aspect of your life. There's times in this story where even when this is not necessarily an issue of life and death, but just a matter of his, you know, illness or his appendix that's bugging him. He talks about how all consuming that is where the second that he, you know, loses a game of cards or gets into a slight quibble with his wife, um, <laughs> immediately he's fucking reminded of how how shitty he feels and how this disease or this I don't even know what you would call it. Yeah, what what was he sick with? I guess, I did he ever know? Was it cancer or something? I don't know, man. It's the 1880s. They don't know shit about <laughs> medical uh, medical information. I have no idea. I don't think it's ever clarified, other than that it's in the appendix, right? Yeah. And it hurts when he peed. So, I don't know. Maybe he was a drunk. And actually, I don't know. Is that a, I don't even know. What what the fuck is an appendix? Isn't that like a, is that like a filter almost for your body or does the appendix even do anything? Because people get it removed and they're fine. We don't know our, <laughs> we don't know anything about uh, our bodies. <laughs> we study philosophy, not fucking biology. <laughs> yeah, it's never really clarified what the disease itself is. And as you as you know, like he gets many different uh, diagnoses from different doctors and homeopaths. And like you said, it's that unpredictability of it that makes it so daunting and so terrifying. Um, and so I think not knowing the disease is probably a very smart decision by Tolstoy to not tell us because it yeah, just adds to that mystery. That fear, yeah. 
And so, yeah, it's like, it's not, it's not because it's not like you're dying because you have been, you just happen to get like tuberculosis, which just happens to people all the fucking time. It's like, no, no, you don't even know what has yeah. hit you. That's what um, makes it even more sad almost. Yeah. Big time. No one big can time help you. There's never going to be any closure. You don't know how to get help. And even the treatments that you are taking at the time, you have no idea whether or not they're contributing to the improvement of your condition at all or not. Mm-hmm. They just gave him the opium and he went into oblivion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? I thought, how interesting is it that all of the people around Ivan, I noticed at least that so few of them to like, even the doctors don't even really care about helping him. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> many characters in this movie are, or sorry, in this fucking story, welcome his death as it's happening over the course of months and months. Like, yeah. holy shit, hurry up. Like no one, like, with the exception of Garrison, the assistant. Or yeah, the, that was kind of it. And his little boy too, I think. Yeah, you're right. So there's two exceptions, but many of the adult characters who um, have something to gain from this death, like they are actually actively trying to usher it forward and push it yeah. forward. Maybe we could tie in that whole idea of childhood and the servant how they're not playing into this high society thing and they actually give a shit about them. Yeah, I like that. Uh, maybe elaborate a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing that idea out there because it's interesting how his servant, Jerison, how do you say that name? Jerison? Jerison, Garrison, <laughs> whatever. He, he actually was willing to be around him and uh, talk with him, put yeah. his feet up. <laughs> I just right. imagine his feet being really high, <laughs> dude. I literally imagine him like his shoulders those, are on fire, those, holding you know those, those things uh, up. You know those, you know those uh, chairs that help you with your decompression of your yeah, back. Yeah, we'll exactly. put an image. If you can put an image somewhere, we'll do it. <laughs> like Ninety degrees. That's really good, man. Let's put it in the episode description. Um, there's also, I think it's like an episode of The Simpsons or something where like they get a new bed and it like it like contracts and they lays down and just like in the whole bed. my god man um yes that's a very interesting idea and i'm now thinking about i think so much of this book is a critique of people um serving their own their own interests right yeah and that includes you know the members of russian high society as well as ivan himself ivan's wife and so in a way like garrison is kind of removed from that he has nothing to gain by um ivan's death so why um, I'd be you know, uh, dishonest. Exactly. Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is like the way that Ivan reflects on his life later in the book and the way that he looks back on his childhood, he he really does look back on it very fondly. And it seems to be like it's the only part of his life that he looks back on Yeah. Um, fondly until he goes to law, to school. law school, right? <laughs> Which it is that point, it is that exact step that starts the path of everything we've already talked about yeah. of like doing things not for what you want to do but instead of like fulfilling some sort of like societal norm or what your parents want yeah. you to do um and then the other thing is like living a life based on self-interest the child is removed from that yeah. um so of course Worry he would free. be able to um yeah exactly and so i think that these two characters are free from so much of the things that all of the other characters in this book are plagued with yeah and that's why they're able to sympathize with and uh, sympathize with Ivan a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? What do you think about the wife? Hmm. Preksovia Fedorovna? She seemed, I don't know, because 
how is she being described in this story? Is it through Ivan's perspective or is it through the narrator? Narrator, because that could change our interpretation, right? Yeah, I think so too, and that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because um, the first half of Ivan's life, as it's described in the story, it really is like no, it's the wife that's the cause of all the suffering. Yeah. Um, but then once you actually get into the perspective of Ivan himself, and you know, you get inside of his head, you see that actually, no, like he's causing a lot of the problems yeah. here. He's the one who's neglecting his home life. He's the mm. one who doesn't care about his children, the one specifically. And so maybe it's actually not the wife who deserves so much shit here. Um, yeah, maybe she's not as bad as she's described because of who's telling us what she's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. But at the same time... She does um, seem mean, though. <laughs> she does seem mean. She does seem like unsympathetic. And there's two instances where she too falls into that same self-ingest trap. One yeah. I think is where it's in mentioned. the beginning, right? Yeah, exactly. You want like what happens there? Correct me if I'm wrong, but she's talking about trying to get more money out of his pension, right? Or something like that. Yeah. And so I think she brings in Peter, who I guess <laughs> is another lawyer. Yeah. She calls in Peter, who's like a legal consultant or just knows a law and sees if she can like squeeze any more of squeeze an more juice out of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Ring that out. <laughs> And I think actually later in the story, it talks about how she wishes that Ivan would die, but she also doesn't yeah. want him to die because um, it would mean the money. the money and he wouldn't get a salary anymore, right? Um, <laughs> oh, goddamn. So if anything, she's not maybe as despicable as Ivan describes her, but it doesn't yeah. mean she's free from, you know, uh, Ra- or, uh, criticism. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to loop back to something we were talking about earlier. And this is the... Uh, many characters' inability to deal with um, the confrontation of death. And I guess it's, is it the beginning of chapter six or the beginning of chapter seven where they go into that classic syllogism? Um, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about that, where it's basically goes to Kai's Wetter's logic. I, hadn't, I have no idea who that is, but I've definitely heard this before, although normally Socrates, um, <laughs> not Caius, where it says, Caius is a man, men are mortal, Therefore, Caius is mortal. Um, And the quote is like, this had always seemed to him correct as applied to Caius, but certainly not as applied to himself. And so I thought this was really interesting Mm -hmm. um, and can kind of apply to us as well, right? Like, this is such a classic syllogism in philosophy. Everyone fucking knows this piece of logic. But just as we can, you know, rationally understand something like this, yes, it makes perfect intuitive sense to us. We get it. Um, there's no error here, but when we then try to apply it to ourselves and our own lives, uh, it just becomes, uh, impossible for us. We can't, we can't possibly like imagine that something like this, this abstraction that is Caius can actually be a real human being like Ivan himself. Mm -hmm. I, I wrote down in my notes that that sort of thinking that Ivan has in regards to this Caius is a delusion we all share especially as young people, you know, the classic, oh, young yeah. people think they're immortal. <laughs> yeah, you're right, dude, you're right. <laughs> and um, and it, it makes perfect sense, right? It's so much more difficult to come to grips with something like this on a more emotional and like, I don't know, you really feel it in your heart, right? But of course, we can understand this when we talk about it rationally. But yeah, when it applies to us, it just, it, our brain just honestly rejects it. And yeah, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, it also applies to Peter as well with that quote where it's like, yeah, he sees Ivan's dead body there, 
but it's like, oh, Ivan's is just an accident, right? That's not me. That doesn't happen to me, Mm -hmm. right? What an interesting defense mechanism that our brain has. And I wonder what the purpose of it is. And is it our job to combat it at all? What do you think? Like, should, like, is this a, is this a good thing that we reject death this way and we don't want to face it? Or should we actually change our attitude towards it? Hmm. Maybe we should change our attitudes towards it. Maybe it would help us live, you know, seize the day as they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. You only live once. <laughs> Cue Robin Williams. Carpe diem. <laughs> <laughs> Standing up on the desk. <laughs> read that poetry, boys. <laughs> um, we were talking saying? about... Um, should we rationalize this, like push aside the thought of death kind of thing? I can talk all that I want about death right now. And again, yeah. like until it really does apply to me, I don't even know what I think, yeah. right? I think um, maybe, the, maybe the good thing about not even thinking about it is that you would just enjoy life. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. They kind yeah. of both, depends right. on your overall thinking of life, I guess. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I think it's important to think about death in more of the sense of like, are you ready for it? What comes afterwards? These kinds of things. And then once you have your kind of, you know, your your pieces in order, you kind of know what you think about that, then I don't think it needs to be in the front of your mind at yeah. all times. But again, I'm I'm a 20, 22 year old, <laughs> right? Um, I don't know. There was a philosopher, I think it was Kierkegaard. I don't know. I can't give you a quote or anything where it was like, death should be in the front of your mind at all times. I wonder. Um, I will say though, this was one of my favorite passages of the entire story. Um, was this chapter where he talks about yes, like the quote that I just said. He understands this logic, but certainly doesn't apply to himself. And then he goes into all of the ways, like like Caius has not lived. Caius has not like gone through the same sorts of childhood experiences that I've had. And he relates mm-hmm. the way that Caius does not apply to his direct human life right and so although of course like it's it it's irrational for him to think this way i thought it was a very beautiful piece of writing and actually like totally totally something that all of us feel when we see something that is like oh here's this rational piece of logic but then you're like no no no, you don't understand the human element of it you don't know what it was like for um, me specifically growing up or doing this having this experience or like what it's like for a human being to do these things this is just a mere abstraction so Mm -hmm. i thought it highlighted it very well for sure i thought that was i think i already touched on this as well but um this kind of goes back to that thing uh with your hockey game and the guy coming in with cancer. But yeah, I think that maybe, I don't know if this still applies to us today or if this just differs on a case by case basis. But when I was confronted with passages in this book where Ivan is kind of just angry or disgusted with the sight of vitality and life in other people. Yeah. Um, Especially when his wife and his daughter walk in. Exactly. And there's also that on the flip side, like we talked about earlier, like, when you're con- when you're a healthy person and you're confronted with death and decay, you know you're also feeling those same kind of like negative emotions towards that, and like this kind of conflict between these two forces makes it so difficult for us to sympathize and take care of people who are dying. Yeah, um, yeah. because these that's a- two fo- forces are so mutually opposed yeah. to one another. Because that's a thought that came to my mind: is how. How do we uh, empathize with people who we know who are dying? Like, let's say someone who's on has cancer and they're in their last stages. Yeah. 
yeah, how can we empathize with them? A, when like what we have this strong emotional response against what we are seeing, right? I think this is actually yeah. deeply embedded in us. Like, oh no, this death and decay, I want away from that. Like this is an yeah. evolutionarily, um, you know, baked in kind of thing to us. Like we don't want any part of that. Get me the fuck away yeah. from that, right? So one, it's very difficult to have sympathy from that. And two, it's increasingly more difficult as well when you add in the fact that we don't even think what is happening to that death and de decaying person will ever happen to us, yeah. right? So the, the, it's just like doubly extremely hard um, to know. <laughs> so like, how the fuck can we ever overcome this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, right? And I think that maybe this book talks about a little bit, I don't know, I'm seeing this in lots of the Russian novelists, but there needs to be something more than just rational framework um, and utilitarianism to hold together a society. Instead, there needs to be a deeper moral fabric within the people in the society that makes you care about these people. Because when you're thinking about it on a pure economic, you know, utilitarian, rational perspective, there is no imperative for you to care about the death and decaying people because they serve yeah. no interests of the self or of the society. Yeah. So you need to replace that with a stronger, more um, empathetic moral fabric to get the people to really care about this. Yeah, because you're up next. I feel like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like Peter was using this story to he was to represent the guy who's next almost. Yeah, and you know what? He's just as naive, even though like yeah. what has come before him is right in front of his eyes, but he's going to go through the exact same experience. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it's brutal, right? Um, so yeah, it's very hard to sympathize, very hard to you know, be confronted with this. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should just go to um, the ending now. How do you feel yeah. about the way that the story ended? Uh, it's a tough one here. Like I thought that it was so interesting for the kind of internal struggle Ivan had when he's looking back on his life. The only thing that he can see as a positive for himself is like his, his childhood. And then there's this great quote where it says, it is as if I had been going downhill while I imagined I was going up. And that is really what it was. I was going up in public opinion, but to the same extent, life was ebbing away from me. And now it is all done, and there is only death. Damn. And so I think I, I think in my translation it said something about a train, where it feels like you're moving forward, but you're actually going back. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe metaphor. if it's a translate. Yeah. Yeah. Let's read the same fucking translation next time. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, the same meta it's the same metaphor, basically yeah. in different words, right? And you know, you look back, you look back on things, and since childhood, since that first step towards law school, you know, you have this outside perspective of things going well for you and living a quote-unquote successful life and then you reflect on it and yeah actually it was all for naught um but it's so difficult but, for ivan to realize this on his yeah. deathbed yeah but was it for naught though oh great question <laughs> i don't know i think that ultimately it's up to ivan to answer that question yeah, for himself we can't we can't answer that yeah because just as um the outside observer cannot be the ones to make conclusions about what the good life is and what a meaningful yeah. and fulfilling life is. We are also not in a position to say what is unfulfilling and what is not meaningful. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. So I really think it's up to Ivan. And so, yeah. And I think just as it's up to us as individuals to make those conclusions um, about our own selves. I also, I'm not sure if this was in your translation, but in mine, they, there was a line uh, 
or just imagery about him being pushed into a black sack. Yeah, I got the same. That thing. was beautiful. Um, I just imagined um, some sort of uh, synecdoche New York style visuals there. <laughs> yes, and I thought that was like, um, did you get? It was like he was trying to be pushed into the black. For me, it's a black hole. It says he felt that his agony was due to his being thrust into that black hole, and still more to his not being able to get right into it. He was hindered in getting into it by his conviction that his life had been a good one. That very justification of his life held him fast and prevented his moving forward. And it caused him most torment uh, of all. And so there, again, you see that internal conflict, right? Um, Ivan's entering death. And like, has he lived a good life in his own personal reflections? Have things gone well for him? Or have they actually been terrible and everything has been meaningless because he's about to die? Yeah, I don't know if you have the quote for you either, but how do you feel about, because I think that he does have one final gesture. And one thing I really, really, really fucking liked about the end of this book is that Ivan does a lot of thinking in this book and a lot of laying around and having a very internal dialogue, very large internal dialogue with himself. But there's a point where it's like, okay, enough thinking. The one thing that I can do here is act. Yeah. And that is where... I saw a little bit of redemption and transformation in Ivan's character where it's like, okay, like you've done all this self-reflection and thinking, but at the end of the day, he says, besides why speak, I must act. And it is at that moment that he then looks to his uh, wife and he looks to his son and he's like, I'm sorry for what I have done. Um, He takes his son's hand and he, or sorry, he gives, he takes his hand and puts it on his son. He kisses it and he does his best to like, realize, okay, like this death is not only about me, it is about the effect that I'm having on the people around me. And so he has a kind of final heroic gesture and action um, that speaks volumes as opposed to just him living in his own his own mind like he does for yeah. the other 99% of the book. <laughs> so I really That's like actually, that ending. Yeah, I really like that. I This is kind of diverging into just a side note, but I like that idea of uh, acting more so than, or you need to think, but don't only get trapped into your own thoughts and you need to act, especially even with school. I found that was the case at the university compared to college. And it just feels good to create stuff for me. Exactly. And, you know, I think that the podcast is a perfect example of that too, yeah. right? Um, there's a Chinese proverb. that's like, uh, to know and do nothing is not to know. Damn, because yeah, like, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because so much of like, do you really know it if you are not actually acting it out in your day-to-day life? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we just thinking and just thinking a certain way is, is in many ways, like you can fall back on that way too easily. Yeah. Right. It's that, it's that ratio or that scale of consumption and production. Mm-hmm. You got it. And it, it's, I don't know a better word for it, but it's like slacktivism, right? Where you can rest in the armchair all you want and think all you want, speak all you want. But yeah, what are you doing? What are you acting out? And because actions are the ones that have real consequences in the world and the people around you. So although it's a story about death, I actually thought that was a very nice and uplifting ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor Ivan. But um, (laughs) I mean, that's a shitty way to go out. I think it said he was screaming for three days. Like, God. Uh, Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking about too, actually. Euthanasia. That kind of, that idea kind of came to mind. Yeah, interesting. But Um, it's not really a... I don't think he was he was trying to argue for it, but it just made me think about it. Yeah, and you know what? Like I'm such a pro euthanasia person. Yeah. But Why? then I 
Sorry, yeah, like why why let the man suffer for three days like that? But then again, he said he wanted to live. <laughs> yeah, he said he I wants want to, to live. live. And you know what? It is through this suffering that is he's that he's able to achieve that redemption at the very yeah. end of his life, right? And if you give him euthanasia a week before, he's never going to have that realization. Yeah. Um, and so, like, this is the only thing that has ever he's got to go. He's got to go through this yeah, pain exactly. to come and, to it. And so nothing has ever like pulled my intuitions against something like euthanasia like this has. Mm. Um, I don't think it's enough, but yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. I'm glad you brought that up.